Hey guys, let's take a quick second and thank our sponsor for today's show, and that is Lorenzotti Coffee, the premium Italian coffee you can have delivered right to your door, or the premium uh, coffee brewing supplies, all the professional coffee brewing equipment you could possibly need. All you got to do is go to Lorenzotti.coffee, that's L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I, dot coffee, and use promo code FICTION at checkout to get 10% off your order, and you'll get free shipping if you order at least two tins of coffee. Guys, I don't know why anybody this day and age would go either to a store or to a coffee shop to order their coffee, stand in some social distance line, you have to put a mask on, you're risking exposure to the coronavirus, forget all that. Go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION, they'll ship it right to your door, and then all you got to do in the morning is brew it up. It's really the only way to live. So go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and get 10% off your order. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What is up? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. Of course, I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, back in the Windy City, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and bearing with me with the No Friday episode last week. As many of you are aware, I took a few days off and headed down to the Florida Keys for a little fishing trip with the boys. And I got to tell you, it was uh, a lot of fun. Had, had a great time. Had a very successful fishing trip for those of you that follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction or on Instagram. You probably saw some pictures of the fish that we caught. I reeled in possibly one of the biggest, if not the biggest, fish of the day. We caught a few huge mutton snappers. They were probably between 15 and 20 pounds, and mine, you know, it was kind of hard to tell which one was bigger, uh, but it was definitely the biggest fish that I've reeled in uh, ever in my life. I think I might have had a bigger one on the hook once upon a time in Mexico. I had a huge yellowtail on there, but it ended up chewing through the line before I could get it in the boat. But man, had a great time. The weather was pretty decent. It looked like it was going to rain the whole time, but it really just, it. there were some scattered showers the day we arrived. You know, we flew into Fort Lauderdale, rented a car, and drove down to the Keys. So it rained a little bit during that trip down. And then it was pretty nice. You know, the next day it was cloudy and overcast. 
which was kind of nice because we were out on the water all day long and we weren't getting too fried in the sun. And then the next day was mostly sunny and we, we did like a half or three quarters of a day in the flats catching some smaller fish, trout, uh, some smaller snapper, a couple jackfish, and... um it was just it was it was wonderful. We had more fish than we knew what to do with. We we gave away more than we actually kept, and we still couldn't eat all this fish. We we were just uh, every night it was just uh, drinking and pan frying fish in the condo that we stayed at, and uh, it it was great. You know, I gotta say I was really surprised at the amount of people at the airports. The O'Hare Airport in Chicago was packed. You wouldn't have known that there was anything going on coronavirus-wise, if not for the fact that the vast majority of people were wearing masks everywhere. I mean, it was packed. It was like a normal day at O'Hare. The line was really long. I got to skip it because I have pre-check, which was fantastic. The same goes for Fort Lauderdale. Our plane was packed. You know, they were they were actually using the middle seats. I was lucky enough to not have anybody in my middle seat on the way there. Um, but yeah, the airport looked like just business as usual. So I don't know if that um, if I caught them on a weird day or if people are actually really starting to travel a lot more and we're gonna start to see these um, airline numbers pick up a little bit. I don't know. But I was really surprised at how crowded it was. And you guys know how I feel about crowds. <laughs> but as far as the actual flight itself went, that was fairly miserable. Now, there was one good thing that came out of all of this. When you first board the plane, they just hand you a little goodie bag with all of your stuff in it for the for the. Uh, flight. You get a bottle of water, you get a bag of pretzels, and like one of these, those little cookie uh, bar things. I don't know what they were. Um, but I like that. <laughs> I, I, really, I don't know why they didn't just always do that. Just like, here, here's your shit for the trip. The, the only thing is, they won't do any other service throughout the flight. There's no drink service. There's no food service. I don't know how it is on longer flights. Like I'm sure they serve you dinner or something like that. But on a shorter flight, this flight was like three hours or so, maybe closer to four. I can't remember. Um, There's no alcohol. You can't order drinks or anything like that. So that kind of sucked. And you got to wear your mask the whole time. And that was just fucking awful. (laughs) Um, You know, three and a half hours with with a mask on, on a hot plane. Not ideal. But yeah, you know. Other than that, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, too bad, I guess. I, I do like the fact that you get your stuff up front. You don't have to wait, you know, the 45 minutes or whatever for them to come down and give you a, a beverage of some sort. Now, it would have been nice if I could have ordered a, a whiskey or something like that. But, you know, um, I, I'll probably just start smuggling liquor on somehow. I don't know how to get around doing that yet, but I'm sure I'll figure something out. Or maybe just drink a, a ton before you get on the plane. I, I don't know. But most of the the shops and the restaurants and stuff within the airport were closed. I, I didn't see a lot of places that were open for to like sit down and eat at. I, I don't recall any of those being open. So I don't know 
I don't know what's going on with that yet. We're, I guess we're still in that phase where you can only dine outside here in Chicago. You know, the restaurants can open, but it's only the ones with outdoor seating that can actually serve you. But you didn't have to wear your mask in the airport. It was just on the airplane if you, you know, that was required. But throughout the airport, you could wear it or you didn't have to. It, it was totally up to you. And, and then when we got there, of course, they were. we had to take a shuttle to the car rental place. And they were only allowing like 12 people on the shuttles at a time. So there, were, there was a huge line for that. And masks were also required for that. So that was not great. The, this whole coronavirus. Everyone's freaking out now because I went to Florida. And apparently they're having a, a, a new outbreak down there. You know, 3,000 new cases in a day or something like that. Listen, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't in any of the major cities or anything like that. You, you put a mask on, you go on the plane, and then you, you walk to your rental car and you drive to the Keys. I was with the same four guys the whole time. You know, we had a boat captain. Uh, oh, by the way, they, they did a really good job. The um, I, I'm going to give them a little plug on the show here. For anybody looking to go do fishing in the Keys, the, the first day we went out, we did some deep-sea fishing. It was a full day, and it was from the Whale Harbor Marina in uh, Isla Mirada, Florida. And the name of the charter was Costa Mirada Fishing Charters. It's run by this guy, Claude, and uh, he had a, a first mate named Addison, and, and they just did a really good job. Most people came up empty-handed that day. I guess everybody was going for the elusive mahi-mahi, and they were coming up bubkis. So what we ended up doing was calling an audible at the line of scrimmage there and going after some of the other types of fish. So... We actually had a nice haul for the day. I mean, it wasn't, there was definitely a couple down hours there in the middle of the day, and I actually took a little nap on the boat, which was much needed. But, you know, we hauled in, let's see, what did we have? Uh, up in the picture there, there's a yellowtail snapper. There, I think there's a, a barracuda, and then three huge mutton snappers. We had a mackerel. I also pulled in a porgy which was delicious. That's the mutton snapper is like one of the creme de la creme as far as snapper goes. And porgy is also right up there. So I pulled in some, some of the most delicious fish that I, I could have possibly reeled in. And then, uh, we had a mackerel, another barracuda caught a couple of these, um, sharp nose sharks that we had to throw back. That was kind of cool. Got to see a little shark up close and touch it. And then a grouper that was too small, so we had to throw that back. But um, yeah, that, I think that was the first day, and they they just did a really good job. If you're looking to go for a fishing trip, I, I highly recommend those guys. They really know what they're doing. They're fun. It, it was just a great day. The boat was nice. It was like a I don't know, like a forty five foot monster fishing boat. Had some live bait. Had some you know they had everything you needed. And then the, the second day, we went out with Captain John Gargan, couple of bucks, backcountry, light tackle fishing. And that was, uh, it was a much smaller boat. You know, it was probably like a 16 or an 18 foot little little fishing boat that we took out and like way, we went way out, probably like 40, 45 minutes, maybe even closer to an hour 
out to some shallower water and and caught just a ton of trout, a ton of snapper, jackfish. I mean, we were getting my, my buddy. The second we stopped, my buddy put his line in the water and got a bite within the first second. Like as soon as his bobber hit the um, hit the water, he got a bite. And I mean, they were just biting all day. We were reeling in fish after fish. We had to throw a lot back because there's all these rules against keeping fish. Like you can only have one that's over, I think, 19 and a half inches. And of course, within like 10 minutes, we pulled in one that was like 22, uh, a, a trout that was like 22 inches or something. My buddy hauled that in. So that was that. And then they have to be a, a certain size as well. I forget what the minimum requirement is. It's like 12 inches or something like that. And so we threw, we probably threw back twice as many fish as we pulled in. And as you can see from that picture, picture we pulled in a lot. And I think you're only allowed to keep uh, 12 trout. I, I forget how many snapper, but we maxed out the trout within like the first hour and a half. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. This guy had the greatest fishing spots. Can't say enough good things about those guys. So if you're looking to do a little fishing trip and you're not afraid of the coronavirus, I highly recommend going out there. You know, we were talking to them about the impact that coronavirus had on their business. I mean, these guys are just getting decimated over the last couple of months. I mean, it was, I think we paid something like 1300 bucks or something for the first full day and the deep sea fishing. So these guys missed, you know, 60 plus trips over the last couple of months, you know, 60 days, 60, 60 potential fishing trips. You know, they're missing out on like $70,000 from the coronavirus, from the shutdown. And I mean, I don't know, just going out and fishing with a couple of people, pretty low risk if you ask me. But yeah, they were, so these guys were uh, just couldn't have been happier that this that they had been you know reopened and let people start living their lives again but they both just got rocked over the last couple of months and you know it's march and april spring break like these this is their busy season they uh really got screwed with the whole shutdown thing but anyway um i think my last show was wednesday and of course it just seems like there's a million news stories now that that pile in over a couple of days. If you miss, you know, if you skip an episode, there, there's a lot to go over in one day. And it, I mean, they're the same stories, right? It's just sort of like a different version of it, you know. Like now, Eskimo pies, I guess, are the latest casualty that I'm aware of in the renaming of products and rebranding insanity that's been going on the last week or so. You know, up until recently, I didn't even realize that Eskimo was apparently offensive now, <laughs> as if anyone actually checked with the Eskimos for their input on this. I, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. I mean, how do you even go about contacting an Eskimo? But uh, yeah, I had no idea. No idea. Someone corrected me on it a while back. I don't really remember who it was. Might have been my ex-girlfriend at the time. <laughs> she was like, you know, honey, you can't call them Eskimos anymore. <laughs> you have to call them blah 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 and uh, I don't even remember what the politically correct name for them is now. It was something ridiculous and long, like indigenous something or other and <laughs> and I was just like, "No. No, not saying that. I'm sticking with Eskimos." 
I'm, I'm going to stick with Eskimos and the five Eskimos that are out there in the world. They can go ahead and write me a strong worded email or whatever. Do Eskimos even have access to email? What's going on over there in those igloos? I have so many questions. <laughs> so many questions for the Eskimos. If I ever do meet one, I, I will get answers to all of this, I assure you. And I bet dollars to donuts that they don't give a shit that we call them Eskimos. That's just my my gut instinct on this one. Oh, uh, that reminds me. Um, two of my buddies, when we were out with Captain John on day two, they also caught these two huge grouper that we had to throw back because they're apparently a, a special protected brand of grouper. They're formerly known as the Jewfish. And since we are now in politically correct, insane world, they've been renamed the Atlantic Goliath Grouper. <laughs> and uh, we all had a good laugh about that one on the boat. Captain John also refused to call them the Atlantic Goliath Grouper. He, he's going to refer to them as the Jewfish, as I will. I mean, I, I know very little about fishing in general, but the Jewfish name just seemed to fit perfectly, in my opinion. I watched one of those crafty motherfuckers steal, like, I'm not exaggerating, upwards of seven pieces of live bait, maybe even closer to ten. I actually lost count after a while. My my one buddy, the, the one who never pulled one of these guys in, he's the one that organized the whole trip, and he was having a hell of a time trying to pull one of these Jewfish in. It kept stealing the bait right off the hook. It was just fucking hilarious. And, uh, you know, those crafty, greedy Jewfish stealing the bait right out from under our noses, leaving you with nothing but an unbaited hook. And he kept getting it, too. Like, the greedy little Jewfish. You know it was the same one, because it was the same spot, and that, that fucker got, like, eight fish. And, uh, I don't know, these jokes just write themselves. It was it was pretty funny. But uh didn't get to taste the Jewfish, had to throw it back, and... Uh, Unfortunately, you know, you guys know I kid. I love the Jews. In fact, Johnny the Jew hit me up the other day. I was we're, we've been trying to get together for a, like a barbecue or something the last couple of weeks, and you know, you know things just hadn't really lined up. And he hit me up the other day for uh, to set something up for this Friday, and I told him, yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounds great, but just so you know, I was just in Florida for a couple of days on a fishing trip. And, uh, you know, if you're freaked out about the coronavirus, you might want to wait a week or two. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give it till next week just to make sure I didn't catch something while I was out there. I think we were pretty careful, all things considered, but you never know, I guess. I'm not too worried about it either way. Um, at this point, I just want to get it and uh, get it over with, even though we're not sure if you can get it again or whatever. But anyway, I thought that was funny that the Jewfish, that the uh, the politically correct names have, have also worked their way into the nautical arena. And the, the, the Jewfish is now the Atlantic Goliath grouper. And I think they have a Jewfish bridge somewhere in the Keys. And the Captain John was saying, he's like, when they rename the bridge to the Atlantic Goliath Grouper, I'll start calling the Jewfish the Atlantic Goliath Grouper. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't know that the uh, the Jews had such a lobbyist going for for uh, the fishing industry. They gotta get they gotta get on that, get that bridge name changed because uh, you know it's so offensive. 
And speaking of offensive, we got um, a bunch of statues that are offending people now being torn down across the country, mostly in the South. Why, why, you know, how an incident in Minnesota somehow sparks riots and and protests and, and tearing down statues in the South seems a little off to me. But um, this is just a really disturbing impulse. I don't understand why people go around doing this. Yeah, okay, they own slaves or they fought for the Confederacy. Oh, okay, I mean, that's like the vast majority of people throughout human history were involved in slavery in one way, shape, or another, or at least complicit in it. So that's going to be like everything. And then why they allow it to happen, why we allow it to happen, you know, at the very least, why they aren't stopped by police. But there are a number of things that you can do to stop these people from defacing these historical monuments and statues and things like that. I mean, for one thing, all of these cities are and towns and everything, they're completely bankrupt. Why don't you just auction off these statues? If they're they're so offensive and we don't want them in the public arena anymore, auction them off. I, I'm sure somebody would like to have them. I'm sure some person would pay good money for them, or you could donate them to a museum. I mean, look, I don't worship a, a lot of these figures throughout history, and I don't have like a um, I don't have this like religious reverence for them or anything like that, but they are property. And I do think we should respect the historical aspects of these monuments, of these statues. History happened, okay? It wasn't all pretty. That, that doesn't mean you just tear it down and pretend it didn't exist. There has to be a better solution than to just destroy things that we don't like. It just seems barbaric to me. And like I said, they are important historical figures very important pieces of history these are historical figures regardless of whether you like them or not or you agreed with everything that they did or all of their positions or whether or not they had slaves like um, everybody throughout history up until that point i mean the vast majority of human history there were slaves to not have slaves is not only um rare but it's also very modern i mean everybody had slaves so it's it's like for up until that point in time the the entire human experience there there was slavery i just don't understand how you're going to throw everything out you know the baby out with the bathwater because these people own slaves or they fought for the confederacy as if these people have any concept of history or you know all of the nuanced positions that go into the the civil war and, and the and these figures i mean we'd literally have to get rid of basically every historical figure throughout the world if the litmus test is owned slave condoned slavery was racist i mean that's going to be like everything everywhere we just get rid of all of it so what are we doing here? What what's the point of all this? You you don't want to, you know, you don't want them to be admired for X Y and Z. Oh, okay. That's fine. Don't admire them. Don't tear it down. You can put something up next to it, you know, like um 
forget who was talking. You know, put put like a plaque up next to it or whatever. I heard somebody floating that idea out that that um, you know tells the alternative uh, history to it or whatever the history that you want told or the reasons why they were a bad person or something like that. But I mean, at the very least, they should be put in a museum or something so people can see these historical these historical things i mean they're it, there's they're an important part of history regardless of the darker sides of their lives or the things that we don't agree with just because you don't agree with everything or you find a person offensive doesn't mean you you, you erase it from history and it also doesn't mean that they couldn't have had other meaningful contributions to mankind just because they had slaves or they they did X, Y, and Z that was really bad. And, I mean, believe me, I'm a libertarian. I'm against slavery. You know, not like that is a, a real brave position to take this day and age. But, you know, you could have slaves and you could also have made meaningful contributions to the world. Those things are not mutually exclusive. They can both be true. So I, I, this whole thing is just ridiculous. But if, you know, if you're following this line of thinking that we must destroy everything throughout history that we find offensive, we should stop teaching everything about you know, the world wars, World War I, World War II, because of all the atrocities that took place, the horrors of the, the Holocaust and Hitler's thing, uh, you know, extermination of the Jews. That should never be mentioned. The Vietnam War. All this stuff because, you know, it offends people. And, it, you know, it, uh, we should just ignore these events because remembering them might make people uncomfortable. And then, of course, you have the obvious irony that the people that would be tearing down Confederate statues and, and people, statues of historical figures that own slaves, have no qualms about marching around carrying a flag with a hammer and sickle on it. That, that were responsible for the deaths of hundreds of millions of people, the ideology that was responsible for the deaths of more deaths than any other ideology to ever walk the face of the earth. Or they'll, they'll uh, be the first ones to don a Che Guevara t-shirt. I, I, <laughs> proudly wear a Che Guevara t-shirt. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. You know, Che Guevara, the racist, homophobe murderer who executed hundreds of people. Love to put people up in firing squads, killed a, a bunch of people himself. But I, I mean, I haven't seen any uh, too many of these videos up up close. But I guarantee you, there'll be somebody wearing a Che Guevara T-shirt, tearing down uh, a statue because oh, this guy was racist. It's just, it, it's really incredible that the cognitive dissonance that that exists within this this population. But when did we? start just letting angry mobs of people decide things for us. I, I thought, you know, just decide, oh, this has to come, this is coming down because we're angry about this. We don't like this, so we're tearing it down. We don't like this, so we're destroying this. We're going to burn this down. We're going to take over this part of the city because we're upset. I, I thought this was a uh, civilization. Right? Isn't that, you know, people are always clinging to that bullshit line. Taxes are the price we pay for civilized society. If you don't like it, you can go to Somalia, right? Get that all the time. In fact, I got into a little Twitter spat over the weekend and I, and I got that classic retort. 
it was I you know I wasn't too engaged with it because I was on vacation. Every time I got stuck in some line or something like that, I'd I'd be perusing Twitter, and there'd be like a a little you know some retarded comment that you know if I had time I would I would uh engage in I guess, and then we got a little back and forth going, but I got bored with it pretty quickly, and I just wasn't in the mood to argue with a fool. You know what they say: arguing with a fool only proves there are two. But this lady was lamenting the fact that teachers have to go into their own pockets to buy school supplies, to which I, of course, suggested privatization of education. And, you know, of course, she's not interested in that because she can't envision a private school providing, she said, like specialized uh, tutors and one-on-one teachers with, uh, you know, kids with special needs and students or whatever. And and I was just like, what? Uh, okay, uh, you were just saying that they can't afford basic school supplies. Like they're running out of pencils, but all of a sudden they're providing specialized one-on-one teaching for each student that needs it because that's what's going on in the government schools now. Anyway, if anything, you know, the last couple of months, that they, they, they've seemed awfully civilized, haven't they? I mean, this is the civilization that I've been violently expropriated to support, to live in. This, this is it. We got these government schools that can't provide basic school supplies, apparently. The kids are graduating functionally illiterate, devoid of basic arithmetic. They cling to science. They claim to cling to science. But they also have to push this ridiculous you know, gender pronoun stuff and... And then we have angry mobs that just go around destroying historical statues that, of course, we also paid for through our tax dollars, no doubt. They're destroying businesses. They're rioting. They're looting. They're setting things on fire. They're assaulting people in the streets with two-by-fours and skateboards. That's civilized? That's what we're paying all these tax dollars for? And then, of course, on the other side of that, you have this militarized police force that are firing rubber bullets at people for being outside their house after curfew, arresting people for surfing or playing in the park, having a catch with their kids, or you know, sitting on a, a guy's neck who's got his hands cuffed behind his back. Oh, and then you know, we have armed communists occupying parts of a city, the only police force in the area just packing up and leaving. Just giving up a a portion of the city to the mob. Stop me when I start describing the the civilization that you envision, that you defend when you're defending taxation for all you statists out there. Oh, what a glorious civilization this is. Please, here, take some more of my money. You're doing a great job. You're doing such a great job. I would like to donate voluntarily a little more to your cause. I mean, this is absurd. We've got governments, government agencies like the police that are renouncing their only justified reasons for existing, right? Protecting individual rights, you know, our, our right to, of security, of people and property. They just completely abandon it the second the, an angry mob comes for them. That is like literally their only reason, their only justification for existing for all these taxes that they steal from us. And and the second shit hits the fan, they just pack up and leave. And then you've got the the corporate press calling this a, a peaceful occupation. 
this is uh, apparently uh, while I was out, the uh, the Chaz has become the Chop because, well, Chaz was kind of a gay name, you know, kind of an effeminate. I mean, it was perfect for for all these like soy boy vegans that were that were taking over this area. A Chaz is like one one letter away from being a Chad, which I always found pretty funny. But now it's the Chop, uh, the Capitol Hill organized protest. I mean, apparently they changed it because they didn't want to be referred to as an autonomous zone under Chaz, like they were trying to secede from the Union or something like that. Which, I, I don't know, secession looks really good to me right now. I don't know why all of these people that just ha- hate America want nothing to do with it. They want to destroy all of the historical figures because they own slaves and they were racist. Okay, secede from the Union. Just take it. Just take your stuff. And I'm not even going to say you have to move to Somalia. Just you can stay exactly where you are. Stay in California. Stay in Seattle wherever you are, and just secede. Become your own country, your own state, you know, separate from America. And then you don't have to worry about it, and we don't have to worry about you. And uh, believe me, I would like to secede as well. (laughs) Um, But I I just find it hilarious that they're referring to this as a peaceful occupation, which is just unbelievable. It's unreal. I mean, you have like 30,000 people inside of this zone this occupied area, they didn't have a choice. It was just an armed, forced occupation, which by definition is not peaceful. They're using force. They're using violence and intimidation. Got armed entourages marching around, and the we're getting reports of just like a ton of crime, rape, theft, extortion, murder. They just had two shootings over the weekend, I think it was. One resulted in a death i think the other one is still alive the idea that that would be referred to as a peaceful occupation is just unbelievable and they have the support or at least they did up until today they had the support of the city the the mayor was just fine with with letting this zone carry on now I think she's under a lot of pressure with these shootings that, that she said they're going to start breaking it up now. Yeah, the, uh, the AP reports that yeah, faced with growing pressure to crack down on the occupied protest zone following two weekend shootings, Seattle's mayor said Monday that the officials uh, will move to wind down the, block long, the block's long span of city streets taken over two weeks ago. It's been two weeks. Wow. Uh, but, you know, these were just peaceful shootings. It's no big deal. <laughs> I, I've seen them try to blame it on some right-wing extremists coming in there and just shooting things up or whatever. Uh, it's just really unbelievable. I mean, could you imagine if the situation were reversed and you had some, like, alt-right, uh, like the Proud Boys or something, occupied a zone, and, you know, they were marching around with guns and... There was there, there was a lot of theft going around, and they were shaking down businesses and and raping people, <laughs> and uh, you had a couple shootings over the weekend. You know, it's a peaceful occupation. Yeah, that that's that's what the, exactly how they would refer to it, isn't it? Really unbelievable. And of course, we have right wing examples, right, with the Bundys when they took over that uh, wildlife refuge. That that that's how the the press was referring to them, wasn't it? Uh, peaceful occupiers. 
Yeah, and they and the and the you know the government, the state and local government, they just let them hang out there for a couple weeks. They didn't bother them or anything. It's exactly what happened. Same thing with Waco, right? <laughs> oh man, it, these are some uh, pretty interesting times. Very revealing. Very revealing indeed. And anyway, that's enough about that. Before I move on to some economic stuff and maybe a little more uh, political stuff involving the, the, the Trump rally and the upcoming election and everything, let's take a second and thank our other sponsor for today's show. And that is the streaming documentary, Navy SEALs, Target of Opportunity. And this is a documentary that's brought to you by a retired Navy chief who spent most of his career working with the SEALs, and he has since turned into an anarcho-capitalist documentary filmmaker. It's a film about these two SEALs that were in the final weeks of their training, and they go out to celebrate at a bar, and they end up being the last two men to see Jennifer Evans alive. It's a film that questions a lot about our military and our justice system. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it if you're into the whole like murder mystery documentary type thing. And I know we're all hurting for streaming content after being locked in our houses for the last two months. So go check out Navy SEAL Target of Opportunity. It's available on his website, Near Genius Films. It's also streaming for free on Amazon and it's also on iTunes. So check it out when you got a chance. Navy SEAL, Target of Opportunity. It was a pretty interesting, pretty interesting watch. I think you guys are going to like it. All right. So the other thing that took place over my little vacation weekend was the Trump rally that everybody was going crazy about leading up to. You know, the, he, Trump was saying that he's going to press on with the rally and the press was going ballistic saying that, oh, this was dangerous. He's putting lives at risk, you know, because you're you're having this huge rally in a, a confined space. And what about coronavirus? Because, you know, all, all of a sudden we're worried about coronavirus again even though they, that seemed to go by the wayside while you know hundreds of thousands of people were rioting and protesting in the streets. Then, you know, it, it, as long as it's for a good cause, by their definition, you know, if it's a, a worthy cause like racism, you can protest and you don't have to worry about coronavirus. But if it's just for a Trump rally, if it's to get him reelected or something, oh, that, that's blasphemy. You can't do that. You can't do that. And you even had uh, doctors and and all of these uh, health experts coming out and saying that, yeah, uh, protesting racism, okay, don't no need to social distance, uh, supporting a Donald Trump rally, no, no, can't do that. That's uh, that doesn't make that doesn't meet the criteria. You 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 can't go do that. It, it's too dangerous. But apparently the turnout fell a little short for old Teflon Don. And I saw that AOC was out there claiming that there are a bunch of TikTok teens or whatever she referred to that bought up all the seats and then didn't show up. So that, it, you know, they thought they had this big turnout. And so they stopped selling seats once they filled up the venue. And then like half of the people didn't show up or whatever. I don't know if that's true, but if it is, it's pretty hilarious. I mean, are they really paying money just to spite Trump? Do I mean, do these... These tickets, does it cost anything to go to these rallies or do you just have to register? I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but they might have to increase the cost of these tickets if 
if this is going to uh, become a regular thing. But I do respect that. They're putting their money where their mouth is just to spite Trump and make him, you know, uh, give, give a blow to his ego, which it definitely will. You know, Donald Trump loves to brag about crowd sizes and you can see them, him in the campaign trying to spin this. I saw a, a couple of tweets. Oh, you know, there were protesters blocking the entrance or uh, Trump was talking about, look how many people tuned into Fox News to watch the rally. They had record numbers. That, why isn't anybody talking about that? I mean, look, people are trying to take this as a sign that this means Donald Trump won't get reelected. I mean, I still think it's too soon to tell, given that every week there is a new crisis of biblical proportions. I've always maintained, if you've been listening to the show for a while, that barring some major event, namely the economic collapse that I've been expecting to, to hit any day now, barring something like that, Trump would get reelected given the, the matchup that he's facing in Joe Biden. And we've certainly had uh, major events that have undoubtedly put us on a path toward economic collapse. I mean, we're in a recession right now. We've got like 40 million people out of work. And I'm going to get into some of the um, the mortgage numbers here, people that are delinquent on their mortgages here in a minute. So it, it would be pretty unbelievable if Donald Trump managed to pull out a victory in November, given all that's happened over the last two or three months. However, comma, he is still going up against Joe Biden. And Joe Biden has committed officially to three debates with Donald Trump. I got to tell you, I can't wait for these debates. It's going to be like watching a car accident in slow motion. It's going to be a train wreck. Joe Biden is a disaster. He was doing awful in debates when there were 10 people up on the stage and he only had to talk for like 45 seconds. And, he, you know, he could only manage a 30 second thing before he lost his train of thought and yielded back the rest of his time. And none of those people up on that stage could throw bombs like Donald Trump. So I think we're going to get a, a big dose of how just how incompetent Biden is during these one-on-one -on -one debates with the killer that is Donald Trump, who is, he's ruthless. He's not going to pull any punches. And Biden is just, oh God, he's just so boring for one thing and banal. And he's just going to keep saying, oh, well, like Donald Trump botched the whole coronavirus thing and you know, racism and we got to fight for the soul of America all this crap, and he's just going to be bumbling and stumbling. And it's not like he's got the greatest record on a racist uh, policies. I mean, everybody's talking about institutionalized racism. Okay, if that is a thing, it would have to be a major portion of that crime bill that, that Joe Biden uh, had a major part in in the, what was it, 1994, something like that. So I don't know. I think maybe these debates that are coming up might actually have a, an impact on those undecided voters or people who aren't really, maybe they've decided to vote for Biden, but they aren't really, I mean, nobody's gung-ho about a Joe Biden. He's clearly not generating a lot of enthusiasm. Like um, 
nobody has to go to uh, you know uh, these TikTok teen tricks of buying up all the the tickets to a Joe Biden rally to keep people from going to make it look like nobody was interested. Nobody's going to any Joe Biden anything. In fact, he can just drop off the face of the earth for a couple of months and nobody really cares. And he tries to do these pathetic interviews from inside his house or something. Joe Biden has no energy behind him. So the people that are like, yeah, I'll vote for Joe Biden. Once they see him just get eviscerated in a debate and they see how incompetent he is and just how far gone and senile, that might do it. That might, you know, um, keep them from getting off uh, the old sofa there and, and going to vote. I don't know. But while I'm not betting on a Trump victory, and if you look at the odds, the, the betting odds have completely shifted in Joe Biden's favor on that that site predict it. I don't think that just because there wasn't a big crowd of old people at his rally after three months of targeted scare tactics and shaming people gathering in large crowds, that that in and of itself is an indication of Trump's chances in November, especially if it's true that, that people bought up all the tickets and then didn't show up. I mean, yeah, you, you get a laugh, you get a laugh out of it. You get to laugh at Trump for a day or two and make fun of him for the small crowd size. But now you've got people thinking, oh, oh, this is in the bag. This is in the bag again. I mean, look at his pathetic turnout. And maybe that's going to deter people from going out and voting for your boy Joe Biden. You know, nobody likes Trump anymore and he can't even get 20,000 people to his rally. He can only get 6,000 or whatever and his uh his base is is abandoning him and he's losing momentum well they got this in the bag joe biden will win this one and maybe i'll just stay home this time i don't know that, that this whole thing could backfire on them and then it's just pretty revealing to, to uh to see how giddy the media is over all of this leading up to it like i said they did everything imaginable to scare people into not going to these rallies it was just weeks and weeks of, of propaganda and fear-mongering, fears of a second wave and risking everyone's lives, and this would be highly irresponsible. And then when people do the apparently responsible thing and they stay home and they watch it on Fox News, uh, they make fun of Trump for, for, not, for having small crowd sizes. And, and nobody likes Trump anymore, and he's going to lose in November because nobody showed up to his rally. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know about the corporate press. So I just can't wait. I, I think these debates are not only going to be unbelievably entertaining, but they might actually carry some weight around with them because I don't know if, if everyone's made... I, I know everyone's made up their mind who they would vote for, but I don't know if everyone's made up their mind that they're actually going to vote if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I, I would vote for Biden or I would vote for Trump, but um, whether or not I'm actually going to follow through on that could be determined by how these debates go or just, I don't know, some other craziness that takes place over the next couple of months. And Donald Trump has always been a very weak candidate. I don't think there's any doubt that his presidency up to this point has been... Uh, if not a failure, very disappointing for Trump supporters. He, they didn't get their wall. 
They they haven't really gotten anything, anything that they promised. He just lost that Supreme Court ruling on DACA. Um, yeah, they got some tax cuts, but the the account like he's been bragging about the the stock market that took a dive at at the beginning of March. It it has rebounded. We've had a, a nice what I would refer to as a bear market rally that seems to have uh, fizzled out over the last week or so. They're trying to keep this thing going, and it just it does not look like it's got the oomph to keep going. I have a, a, a very bad feeling about the next uh, couple of weeks as far as the stock market is concerned. It looks like it's about to roll over and head lower. But then, of course, you know, like I said, that's all dependent on what the Fed does and how much money they can try to pump into this thing. But we're seeing a lot of signs that we've we've reached the uh, the peak of this bear market rally. And if the stock market heads lower going into November, Donald Trump's whole, you know, uh, I'm good for the stock market and look at this tremendous economy we have. He's not going to have a leg to stand on there either. And he's losing every other political battle. So he's very vulnerable right now. It's just that they, they've chosen the worst possible candidate in Joe Biden to go after him. But yeah, there's like I just saw a, an article the other day because, you know, I talked about I think it was on the last podcast how there's all these anecdotal signals, you know, retail investors, millennials, 10-year-old kids getting into the stock market. And that's a, a good indication that you're in a bubble and that you're near the popping of that bubble. Well, the um, net leverage of hedge funds, hedge funds have gone all in as net leverage hits 99 percentile. Now, two weeks ago, just as the retail day trading euphoria peaked, manifesting itself in both a record surge in small trader call buying and the stock mark, uh, the stock of bankrupt Hertz soaring so much it prompted the company to try and issue as much as $1 billion of worthless stock to Robinhood investors. Remember, I talked about that on, I think, the last episode. It wasn't just retail investors flooding the markets. According to Goldman's desk, after holding out for months, hedge funds finally capitulated and were also flooding into stocks. Fast forward to today, when it's the latest weekly exposure report, Goldman's prime desk notes that it's pa this panic buying across hedge funds has continued and gross leverage of overall book rose another 4.4% to 246.6%. That's uh, the 93rd percentile while net leverage rose 1.6 points to 75.1%, putting into the 99th percentile, effectively the highest ever. Another striking fact, according to Goldman Prime, the dollar amount of gross risk deployed during the past week is the largest over any five-day period since mid-March, when net buying seen on Friday, Monday, Tuesday, followed net selling on Wednesday, Thursday. So if you remember back to uh, right before the 2008 financial collapse, we had uh, historically high leverage in the stock market back then as well. There were firms that were leveraged over 200%. Now, stock market leverage, for those of you who aren't familiar with what leverage is, 
it basically offers investors the potential to earn a higher return on their investment because they are able to buy more shares of a stock than they would by using their own money because they, they're basically borrowing money to buy stock. So, for example, if you were to buy a share of a stock for that was priced at $100 using your own money, so you, you give them $100, you get one share of the stock, and the price increases to $150, you've earned a 50% return on your investment, right? If you use leverage in that same transaction and you buy that stock with $50 of your own money and you borrow $50, what they refer to as on margin, right? So you borrow 50, you use 50 of your own money to buy one share of stock for $100, and that same stock goes up to $150, you've now got a 100% return on your investment, right? Because you, you spent 50, you returned the 50 that you borrowed, and you've earned $50, so that's a hundred percent return. So it allows you to to borrow money and, and buy more of a stock than you normally be able to. So your uh, your potential gains are a lot higher than they normally would be, and that it cuts both ways. Your potential losses are um, exaggerated as well. So it's a very risky game to be playing. And the last couple of times this has happened, we've seen uh, companies and, and investors over leveraged in the market. It's been at, at, you know, when we reach peak insanity in in these bubbles. So it, it's just another indication that maybe this thing is getting a little out of control. And then if you look at the overall economy, the actual economy and the effect of the coronavirus uh, and the lockdowns on everyday Americans' lives, mortgage delinquencies have surged to a nine-year high. And 30% of Americans didn't make their housing payments in June. This article is uh, coming out of zero hedge. The worst is yet to come for the real estate market as home mortgage delinquencies surge to their highest level in nine years as virus-induced economic downturn continues to crush household finances. Property research firm Black Knight Inc. reports total borrowers more than 30 days late surged to 4.3 million in May, which is up 723,000 from the previous month. This means that at least 8% of all U.S. mortgages are either past due or in foreclosure. The report said that those who qualified for forbearance made payments early in the pandemic, probably when they got their 1200 bucks. However, now the percentage is much lower. Some 15% of homeowners in forbearance agreements made payments as of June 15th, which was down 28% in May and 46% in April. And a forbearance agreement, for those of you not familiar, it allows homeowners to defer their mortgage payments for up to six months. But when that six months period is over, you have to repay all of your past due mortgage payments, usually in one lump sum. So, I mean, what are the odds that all of these people in forbearance now come the fall when, when that six months period is over are going to have the money for a lump sum of like six months worth of mortgage payments? 
uh, I'm going to go way out on a limb and say almost zero, considering I read all these other articles that the, you know, the vast majority of Americans don't have $500 in savings for an unexpected event. Okay. And nobody's working like the, like the fishermen I went out with, they're out 70 grand over the last couple of months. And now there, there's talk of a second wave. Who knows if they're going to try to do a second lockdown. But the idea that we are out, like, and this is going to hit like right when the election is coming. You're going to have a wave of foreclosures and bankruptcies. I mean, 30% of Americans didn't make their payment in June. 30%. I mean, that's going to ripple throughout the, the housing industry. In the next coming month, I mean, think of how many um, other facets of the economy are dependent on people making their mortgage payments. Okay, it's not just the people that or, or the banks that that own those loans, but it's the investors that own those mortgage-backed securities. It's the 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 landlords that are uh, renting out their apartments to people. Uh, missed payment rates are highest for renters at thirty-two percent. Households earning less than twenty-five thousand a year. That was 40%. Adults under the age of 30, just 40%. And those living in high-density urban areas, 35%. While the missed payment rate for mortgaged homeowners is just three percentage points lower than the renters, the survey showed. This was a survey, apartment list survey data. Uh, Missed payments from uh, April, May, and June. So I don't see that trend ending anytime soon. And for all those people going into forbearance, I don't see any way that they're going to have the money to to pay off that mortgage when the forbearance period is over, which means they're they're going to prob- there's going to be like a wave of properties hitting. They're going to have no choice but to sell the property. And if everybody that went into forbearance around the same period of time is going to have to sell their property at the same period of time, well, you're going to flood the market with houses and the uh, the price of housing will collapse, which is good for anybody that wants to buy a house, right? You might be able to get a house on the cheap, but anybody that was expecting to get out from under their massive mortgage, they, they could find themselves taking a huge bath on that property if they bought at the wrong time. So this is uh, there, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming to a head right around election time, and it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because I... There, I think the idea of a V-shaped recovery that you know you keep hearing people talk about. And when they say that, if you're not familiar with uh, technical analysis or reading charts, or the V-shaped recovery is you know when the markets tanked in March at the beginning of the coronavirus, they, they made a you know a sharp move down, and the when you think of the letter V, a sharp move up into recovery, and if you keep going, that would be a V. And then you also hear them talk about W, so just think of the chart making a W. So you go up a little bit, then you go back down to those lows in March, and then maybe you go back up, making a W on a chart. And, you know, maybe a W-shaped recovery. I think it's going to look more like a lightning bolt because I think we're going to take out those March lows eventually. But again, that is dependent on how much uh, uh, money creation the Fed pumps into these markets. I mean, they can make stocks go up nominally through inflation as much as they want. 
But if you price it in terms of gold or something like that, hey, you, you know, the, those, st- those returns aren't really there. But anyway, um, I'm going to wrap there, guys. Oh, I did want to mention that, you know, I had somebody a, a while ago, I, I talked about maybe doing some sort of training uh, seminar, video, online uh, webinar thing on how to read uh, charts, stock charts. Um, currency chart. I mean, all the charts are the same. If you want to um, learn how to do basic technical analysis on charts so you could maybe spot a V-shaped recovery or the potential for it or something like that, or if you just want to learn a little bit more about uh, basic technical analysis, which is sort of what I do in my free time, I, I don't have any, you know, formal economics training or anything like that. This is just something that I, I've taken an interest in and I've I've um I've been doing for probably six or seven years now. I just think it's very helpful knowledge to have to be able to look at a, at a chart and know the you know, whether or not just basic stuff, if you're bullish or bearish on a chart and and just how to read market structure and things like that. I was thinking about putting together some sort of training webinar on that, if there is interest. I've had a, a few people that that went back and listened to the prior episode where I guess I mentioned that, that hit me up, that said they're interested in it. I, I'm going to need more than just a few people if I'm going to put together like a whole thing for you guys. But um, yeah, I think it would be fun to do. And I think you guys, you know, if you if you have any interest in that whatsoever, if you want to be able to, you know, if you have somebody managing your money for you or your 401k or something like that, and you want to know what the hell they're talking about, uh, being able to read a chart would be a, a pretty helpful uh, piece of knowledge to have. And it's really not that complicated. It, it, it's really... Um, fairly intuitive and simple if you break it down correctly. And I think I can do that for you. So if that's something you're interested in, hit me up on Twitter or, you know, send me an email peddling at peddlingfiction.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at peddlefiction. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. If that's something you want to do, great. Every dollar that you donate goes right back into the show for advertising and just general uh, expenses to try to increase our reach and really get this show to take off. Oh, and um, we got a pretty good response for the private Facebook group. I got uh, almost 100 people want to wanna get in on that group. And if I get to the 100 number, because I'm OCD and I want it to be a nice round number, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it up and we're going to get that going. So I need a few more people to find the Peddling Fiction podcast private Facebook group. You got to answer three questions and we'll get that going. I, I think that could be a lot of fun as well. So so go and do that if you haven't already. Once we get to 100, I'm going to let everybody in and we can get that party started. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back on Friday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Fiction.